seated. <coughs> Let me encourage you and invite you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to our passage this morning. And we find in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 5 through 73. Nehemiah 7, 5 through 73. This past Wednesday morning, I was meeting with our church secretary, Betsy, and we were going over the bulletin and part of what she does, she, or she asked me or I tell her all my passages for this week. So she put in the bulletin and I told her Nehemiah 7, 5 through 73, she gave me a look and said, are you, are you serious? Are you going to cover 68 verses this Sunday? So you might have had the same reaction when you saw this listed in the bulletin or when I announced it. It is a long passage. It is 68, pass- 68 verses and as you turn there and you, and you see it, you'll see it's mainly a long passage that consists of a long list of names and numbers. So even just a glance at it, it can seem to be a daunting reading. And maybe even now you're dreading that we're going to stand for all 68 verses of these weird names with these numbers along with it. You may even wonder why we would spend time in a passage like this. We spend time in a passage like this because of what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 teaches us all scripture all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work all scripture including a list like this is profitable it's good for us even a list of hard to pronounce names Followed by different sets of numbers and countings to it. This is God's word. This is the very breath of the very God. And so because it's in the Bible, we know this list is meant to be good for our souls. Because it comes from God for his glory and for our good. So he gave us this list for our present benefit and for eternal grace. However, the other side of it is I also know But you don't want to, and I don't want to, endure my butchering of these names and getting lost somewhere along in the text. And we all end up looking at each other saying, where are we and what's going on? So with this in mind, I'm going to only read some of the highlights from these verses to help us get the gist of the text. But I highly encourage you to take time during this week to read through the rest of this passage. Break up into bits and pieces if you want to, or if you just want to sit down and take about five minutes to read through it, then do it. Uh, But please, I do encourage you to read through this passage later on. So hopefully you have found it. So let me pray for us as we come together now for God's word. Our Heavenly Father, your law is perfect, covers the soul, it's a sure testimony, it gives wisdom to the unlearned, and it enlightens the eyes. So we pray and implore you through your boundless goodness that you enlighten our blind intellect by your Holy Spirit, that we may truly understand and profess your law and live according to it. And so it has pleased you, our most merciful and good Father, to reveal the mysteries of your will only to the little ones, since you look to him and her alone who are of a humble and contrite spirit who has reverence for your word. <clears throat> we, pray, we pray, Lord, you would give us a humble spirit and keep us from worldly and fleshly wisdom, which is enmity against you. Bring us to the right way when we have strayed from the truth, so we all may unanimously serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. We ask this from you now, our most merciful Father, 
In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So a few verses from Nehemiah chapter 7. Let's stand together now for reading God's word. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. The number of the men of the people of Israel, and the priests, the Levites, the singers, the the gatekeepers, the temple servants, and the sons of Solomon's servants. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Maybe see this. We are all familiar with these uh, phrases or proverbs that sound like they could come straight from the pages of the Bible. Think of some such as absence makes the heart grow fonder. Actions speak louder than words. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Good things come to those who wait. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Those sound like they could be biblical. Sounds like all we have to do is turn to Proverbs or to Psalms. We'll find them there. We could turn over to the New Testament, to Galatians or First Peter or even the book of Revelation and find these sort of Proverbs. We may find even these sort of Proverbs and phrases in the Bible. But they're not. The list I just read to you, we don't find them in the Bible, at least not in verbatim form. I didn't read to you from Proverbs or Psalms or Colossians. They're worldly wisdom. They're worldly Proverbs. But they're worldly in the sense that they don't come from the Bible, but we find they have some sort of grain of biblical truth and wisdom to it. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That Wisdom of God. Actions speak louder than words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And it's all have some biblical wisdom and truth to them. So they may not be from the Bible, but they do seem to be very much based upon the Bible. But there is a, a phrase that for the longest time I thought was from the Bible. A number of years ago, I remember doing a study on it and trying to find it, eventually having to go to Google. Turns out it's not in the Bible, because Google would never lie to us, would they? Birds of a feather flock together. Doesn't that sound biblical? Well, it's not Proverbs 35.11, it's not Psalm 145.8. But it is a wisdom that teaches that practical truth that we will surround ourselves with people who we have the most in common with. These people we want to share our life with. These people who have privilege of speaking loudest in our lives. Birds of a feather do indeed flock together. This doesn't come, we don't find this in the Bible, but we see the roots of the biblical wisdom and truth in it throughout Scripture, including in our passage this morning in the account of Nehemiah. 
Now again, we are in that, that part in Nehemiah uh, where he, along with the various workers, have now completed the project. It started with a visit and some bad news that led to a faithful, persistent praying, which then led to, to careful planning and then wise preparation and then execution of the plan. So now that, that final hinge on the last gate, the final hinge on that last door has been hung, and so now Jerusalem is officially secured and protected by a restored and repaired wall. Maybe they took a bottle of champagne and they busted against the gate. I don't know, but the project is officially done. But this is exactly where we need to remember that this is no ordinary city. We're not talking about Winsboro or Columbia, Charleston, or New York City, or Chicago. We're talking about the very city of God and the very land of God given by God to his people. This is no ordinary city. This is God's city and God's land for God's people. That's why we find that when they were in exile, God's people would sing, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, okay? Not, O God, not, O Jesus. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Because this is no ordinary city. This is the city of God. And the promised land given by God to his people. So now that the project is over with, and people are being called out of exile, the question now is, who is going to live in God's city? The wall's been repaired, it has been restored, that God is bringing people out of exile. Who is supposed to live in this city? We've already said the answer. It's the very reason for Jerusalem. It's for God's people. It's for his covenant community. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. This long list of names that we will butcher about four names into it. All these numbers and occupations. This is the list of the covenant community that will now live in Jerusalem. So this is the literal list of the people who God has called out of exile. Back not only to the promised land, but back into the city of God to live in the freedom of being God's people. So from our perspective, we look at it as a burdensome list. Because let's be honest, how many of us are actually going to go home today and read through the rest of this list? Or take time this week to read through the rest of this list? Because it just takes a glance over it and you go, that's quite a burdensome list. But not to them. And not to God. This is a glorious list. This is a list of people God has loved. And he has called. And he is blessed with this opportunity. It's a list that is is literally soaked with covenant meaning. These are people who were in covenant with the Lord. Neighbors were not, but they were. And so for now, before the Messiah would come, that would mean that the center of their religious life lay in Jerusalem. This is, this, this is a list of Valentines. Every person here, this is God saying, I love you. 
and I'm going to take care of you. For generations, you and your family have been exiled, but now I am, I am calling you home. And I'm calling you back to my city so you can once again be my people and all the freedom that I give you. It's just like God's people in Moses' day. They had experience in Exodus. And as soon as the new temple was built, they celebrated a Passover together as Ezra recorded his accounts. Now, after following the reading of the law, they will celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles, as we'll see in the next chapter. So he points of continuity. God's temple. God's city. God's feast. His chosen people are a reminder to them that they are indeed a blessed people. They are receiving the blessings promised to Abraham and David as we read about them in Genesis 12 and 2 Samuel 7. And we'll find later on that Nehemiah prays it in full understanding of this covenant relationship when he prays these words, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. So this is no ordinary list. This is a list of God's people who are called to come back and live in God's city. They have been chosen. They have been called. They have been loved. They have been blessed by God himself. And that's the lens that we need to read this list with. Here are the people that God has claimed and loved. These are his people. Which means then, as Christians, these are our people as well. As people who love Jesus and follow Jesus, this is part of our spiritual family tree. I would imagine there is someone in your family who has invested some amount of time and energy to your family tree. Either they've gone on with genealogy.com or ancestry.com or they've gone to a library or to a museum and they've gone through all the long lists and they've, they've gone through all your aunts and uncles and cousins and cousins and nephews and nieces and they can explain to you what it means to have a, a, your fourth cousin ten times removed or, or whatever it is, but they have invested this time and energy into your family tree to help you understand who you are and where you come from. Growing up in my grandmother's kitchen in Lancaster, she had a family tree that was on the wall that you saw as soon as you walk into the kitchen. And what she had done is she had drawn a picture of a tree, and of course colored it brown and green grass, and then she had taken little apple cutouts, wooden cutouts, and she painted them red with green leaves, and she put the names of our family written in black on them, and she hung them up on the family tree in genealogical order. So every time you walked into her kitchen to get a drink of water or to get a snack or a cup of coffee, you saw this family tree and you were reminded of who you are and where you came from. As a child, it was fascinating to me because I saw my name up there. And there was my, my parents' name and then my, my grandparents' name. And then I learned their, their parents' name and brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. 
And we used to joke that whenever somebody who was outside the bloodline was divorced, we should take their apple off and put it on the ground with a worm burrowing into it. A little bit of mean humor for a bad situation. But that's our spiritual family tree here. This is the tree with apples on it. These are your spiritual aunts and uncles, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. This is no ordinary list because this is your family. And in heaven, if there is a family tree somewhere, we trace it. We start with James McManus and we go up, we're going to find Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Amen and Parish and so on and so forth. These are the people we share the blood of Jesus with. Because they look forward to their Messiah. They look forward that he would come and forgive them their sins. So they participate in those rites and rituals and sacrifices that, w- w- that, would, that would point them to that promise. So we talk about Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Parish and Gibeon and Yeshua and Uzzah and Darkin and Amon. These are your people. These are the people God has loved and who are in spiritual family with, who we are in spiritual family with. These are names breathed out by God along with our names for, our glory, for his glory and for our good. We know that God was at work in them, calling them to be his people, training them up in holiness and righteousness. These are your fathers and brothers and sisters in the faith. The family of God, our spiritual family of God. So then this list also teaches us that these relationships matter. Birds of a feather flock together. What bound these people together wasn't their family blood, that they were all McManuses or, or Bakers or Basses or whoever else. It wasn't blood, it wasn't skin color, it wasn't hobby, it wasn't favorite college team or favorite musician. What bound them together was God. God was the glue. God is what bound these people together. Because we look at their occupations, you have all sorts of different occupations, you have all sorts of different people. We need to keep in mind that this group was called to live together and work together and worship together. Why? Because of God. God is calling them. God is drawing them. God is preparing them to come. This is all happening because of God, because they are the recipients of the blessing of the covenant, as Bruce reminded this morning from the prophet Jeremiah. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. These are people God has chosen. These are people God has called. He has made them his people. So now, instead of living for themselves or living for others or for the pleasure of the world, they're now living for God. These people, their reality is God. God is their portion. He is their guidance and the authority in their life. He is what binds them together. How are they going to be able to live together, be neighbors, share a vegetable plot with? How are they going to have their children on the same sports teams? How are they going to worship together? It's God. Because God is their God and they were his people. And their lives now were for the glory of God and enjoying him forever. They were made in God's image as we read in Genesis 1. 
<clears throat> made in his image to be in relationship with him, but also made in his image so that their relationship, that, that relationship with him would define all other relationships. And the same is true for us. We too are made in God's image. Made his image to be in a relationship with him, but also for that relationship to define all other relationships in our lives. That these relationships are for God's glory. Birds of a feather flock together. Now, this is not a call for us to become like the Amish. At the church, we're going to pack up our belongings, we're going to go somewhere deep in the woods, and we're going to start our own little Bethel village where we cut ourselves off from the world around us. All the men try to grow those weird Amish beards, and the women wear all these clothing and head coverings, right? If we did that, probably end up resembling the movie The Village by M. Night Shyamalan, and that wouldn't be a good look for us. But what I do believe this passage is teaching us, as long as we see the rest of Scripture, is that birds of a feather always flock together. So who we choose to have our closest relationships with are important to our lives and to our faith. We think of the witness of Jesus. Who did he he surround himself with? Who are his closest relationships? Those the disciples. Spent three years with, lived with his disciples for three years. Those who looked to him as their Lord and Savior and who lived their lives in light of relationship or who Jesus has closer relationships with. Now, Jesus wasn't Amish. Remember, the Pharisees got mad with him because he dined with sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes and the like. He talked with non Christians. I think of Jesus at the well, the Samaritan woman. I believe he probably laughed at those who didn't believe he was the promised Messiah. But Jesus didn't cut himself off from the world, but his closest relationships were with those he, who he had the most in common with. That he was their Lord and Savior. And we see that throughout Scripture. We think of David and Jonathan, of Paul and of Timothy. Who we choose to have our closest relationships with important to our lives and faith because they're the ones who are going to outside of our relationship with Christ are going to be the ones who have the most informing and influencing of our relationship with God birds of a feather flock together love those stories you hear of people who've been married for 80 years and as they have been married and and they've gotten older, their family will tell you, they start to look more and more like each other. They start taking on this family resemblance. And when one dies, it's just a few hours before the other one dies as well. Birds of a feather flock together. Again, we're not saying we become Amish and we only have a relationship with other Christians. We need to have relationships with non-Christians. We need to take them to gospel. We need to show them the love of Jesus. We need to love them and care for them. We need to show them our love. You're not hitting them, always hitting them outside the head with the Bible, but by being there for them. We can learn plenty from non-Christians, and even by God's common grace, we can be blessed by non-Christian friends. But again, 
We have been made in the image of God himself to be in a relationship with him and for that relationship to define our other relationships. And we are God's chosen people. We are his covenant community to help us understand that our closest relationships need to be with those who are also in Christ, who points to Christ, who encourage us in Christ. My, my plan is that we end up Nehemiah sometime this summer. And then we're going to do a series on the means of grace. The means of grace are those means that are God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit will enable believers to receive Jesus and the benefits of redemption. These means of grace are normally defined as the reading and preaching of the word, prayer, and the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. But there's a conversation. Sometimes it leads to arguments that another means of grace is fellowship. And I make that argument. I believe fellowship with other believers is a means of grace. That fellowship can be an instrument of God that points us to his grace and the blessings of being his. That it's another way for God to bless us as his people. We are blessed when we have our closest relationships with those who point us to Jesus, who encourage us in Jesus. Because birds of a feather always flock together. Without overstating it, I believe we are living in a very pivotal time and the one of the pivotal times in the history of at least a church in America. There are those of us who have memories of when Christianity was at the very least tolerated in our culture. But in our southern context, it wasn't just tolerated, it's often been celebrated. It's easy, it was easy, to be a Christian in the South. There's a church on every street corner. Everybody's grandmama was a Christian, and most grandmamas seem to always be Baptists. But times are changing. And it's no longer that way. Even in the South. So the culture wars are not being fought by the Yankees. Are those people who have been unfortunate to have to live out in California? The culture wars are here now. And at best at times we're barely being tolerated. We're not very often being celebrated. And that toleration is going away. It is common knowledge that there are certain groups who have um, political and cultural agendas. And they've acknowledged, they will tell you right out, they don't target adults. They target children. They try to get into schools and get their political and cultural agendas settled into the curriculum. So when, when five-year-old Johnny is learning how to read, he's not reading the Bible. He's not reading the catechism. He's reading these books that are setting forth a certain political and cultural agenda. 
they have Hollywood. And all the shows, all may be overstating it, a number of shows that your children are watching have that agenda there. The social media influencers are following it. Why? Why do you think the White House is now employing social media influencers? Without being getting political, are employing social media influencers to go out there to convince us that the inflation is due to Putin and previous presidents? It's in the music that our children listen to. There's no doubt about it. Your children, my children, the children of this church are targets for all sorts of anti-biblical, anti-Christian teaching and understanding. And it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it will affect their relationships. It used to be that biblical marriage and family was celebrated. And now it's mocked. What's celebrated now is how many men or women are both you have in your lives. Doesn't matter who's living at home, if, if, if you're married to them or not married to them. If this is your Monday, Wednesday, Friday dude, this is your Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday girl. That's what's celebrated. Gender identity is now fluid and can be decided at whatever age. So which means my, my little five-year-old Patrick, whose name means stud, as we just, as just, we just decided, can, can come home tomorrow and say, Mommy and Daddy, I'm a girl. And, and society would go, that is so brave and so courageous. Congratulations, Patricia. You have made a very big step in your life. Sexuality continues to be redefined and repackaged. And we're having to add on letters and numbers and symbols to include all of them in there. And all of this is aimed at your child and it will affect their relationships. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And one day as parents or grandparents, we're going to have a hard conversation with our children because this rampant sinfulness that's embraced by our culture is now being embraced by their friends. And it may be that you've already had to have that relation or to have that conversation. Relationships matter. Birds of a feather flock together. So I'm thankful for this church for Bethel, that we will invest in children and youth ministries. That at least once a week, at least once a week, they have this touching stone to come and be reminded of biblical teaching, to have that biblical comfort. As they watch their friends struggle with sexuality, if they watch their friends struggle with gender identity, as they watch their friends' uh, parents' marriages crumble and, and, and fall to all sorts of disarray, they can come to this church and they can hear about Jesus and they can be taught his word. And this is why I keep on stressing the importance of the family and the faith. Like the infograph picture I sent out this week, what an astounding statistic 
75% of children leave the church once they head off to college or right after they graduate. Three-fourths of the covenant children of this church, statistically speaking, three-fourths of the covenant children's church will leave the church. Those children who come down front, three-fourths of them, when they go off to college, will never set foot again in the church. That's an astounding, that's an astounding statistic. It's a scary statistic. But what's the common thread for the 25% who stay? It's the family. Dinner with the family, going to church with the family, doing ministry with the family, devotions with the family. What we come to understand and we need to appreciate is that one of the greatest weapons God has given us is the covenant family at home. This covenant family at home is like a wall that's set against the influence of Satan and his minions. And our job as parents and our job as, as, as members of this church and our job as this church is to help build that wall so when our, our children, and they're all our children, when they go out into the world, we have sent them out as well prepared as we can. Our relationships at home and in the world matter. Birds of a feather flock together. We need to be teaching and encouraging our children that. But not just our children, but adults as well. Kevin DeYoung says one of the most important things we can do in life is to pass on the storyline of God's faithfulness to the next generations. Are we doing that? That's not just a church's job, but it is part of our responsibility. Are we doing that personally as parents and as adults? Do the children of the church see you and me uh, uh, investing in those relationships that lead us to Jesus, encourage us in Jesus, even correct us for the sake of Christ? I want you to think about who you consider to be your closest friends. Can you call them for prayer? And can you know for certain that they will storm the gates of heaven for you over and over again until God answers that prayer? And then when he has answered that prayer, they will continue to storm heaven for you to thank God for that prayer. Do your friends encourage you to be in God's word? Are they a bomb of the gospel that's needed for your lives? I had a, a friend reach out to me this, this past week and say, can you just share a good word with me? And I was honored that they would allow me that sort of, uh, of, of, of involvement in their life. And then I kind of freaked out because I couldn't think of anything to tell them. They kind of put me on a spot. I'm like, I don't know, John 3, 16, something. I got to tell them something. But do you have those friends you can reach out to and say, I'm struggling. Will you give me a good word? Will you pray for me? Because relationships matter. Like this list of, of covenant, cho- or covenant people chosen and loved by God, bound together through the blood of Christ, our relationships matter. We'll end with this. A story is told a number of years ago. It was noticed that the delivery boys in an area of London were all whistling out a tune. It was driving people crazy. They finally discovered that the bells of Westminster Abbey were off pitch and the boys had been unconsciously copying the bells. 
Who are we choosing to flock with? Are they pointing us to Jesus? Are they pointing us away from Jesus? That's the importance of this community. Birds of a feather flock together. So may we choose our flock in Christian wisdom and discernment and for the glory of God. Pray with me.